Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He's your city of refuge. He's the one you run to. And when you enter into him and that relationship with him, you keep running back to him and you keep asking like, Lord, search me. If there's anything in me that needs to be dealt with, then help me to deal with it, God. I want to own that. But I, I just, I also know I need to run to you because if your sin finds you out, it might as well find you hiding in Jesus. Let him be your city of refuge. Let him be the place where you run to. He's available. Who do you run to in your time of need? Maybe you turn to unhealthy relationships, alcohol, drugs, or anything that you can numb your mind from the struggles that you're dealing with. It seems easier to hide from the pain rather than deal with it, doesn't it? Well, Jesus doesn't just numb your pain, he heals your pain. He restores your soul and he changes your mind. In today's message, Pastor James reminds us that Jesus is who we should be running to if we find ourselves stuck in sin. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. The Lord is creating this system of just order and justice. And, and then there's a whole reason behind all this. We'll, get, we'll see it at the very end. But you have to have these, these other kind of boundaries in place in order to have a good, healthy society where people who do bad things suffer consequences. And then people who, they're not intending it for it to be bad, that they are spared of consequences that the bad guys should get. Right? Okay. This is, a, this is a portion. This next portion of, of Scripture maybe should be sent to some cities in our country that don't understand how justice actually works. I don't know. Yeah. But what? <laughs> you don't have to name the states and cities. Look, it's, it's, just, it, it's crazy. I reference the book of Judges. I think if there was a book of the Bible that described America be the book of Judges. We could be the book of Judges. Just would be. And that's where we live. It's a mess. What's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. I mean, that is, that in essence is, is where we live today. I mean, and America's never been a perfect country. It just never has been, and it never will be, okay? But man, we have totally turned things upside down, though, I, I think. Uh, it's insane, but whatever. Israel had some guidelines that they needed to have spelled out for them so that nobody was like, you know, going all like Wyatt Earp or whoever, you know, just like, yeah, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. And no, we got to protect people from that. So there's got to be order. Okay. So here's the order. Verse 13, it says, you know, designate six cities of refuge for yourselves, three on the east side of the Jordan River, three on the west in the land of Canaan. These cities are for the protection of the Israelites, foreigners living among you, and traveling merchants. So this covers everybody, okay? It's not just for the Israelites. It's for everybody. This is just justice that applies to all, okay? It says, anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. So these towns of refuge are made available to anybody who 
unintentionally causes harm to somebody else. All right. But, verse 16, if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it is murder. It just, it is murder. If you strike somebody, I don't care if it's iron, I don't care if it's a stone, I don't care if it's wood. That's, that's the list that we're about to go through. It's murder. If you intentionally do this, that's called murder. We're not talking about manslaughter, we're talking about murder, okay? So they got to spell this stuff out. It says, it is murder, and the murderer should be executed. Okay, the, I guess the punishment fits the crime. Now this is where it gets a little like, should, we, should there still be capital punishment? Should there not be capital punishment? That'll be your discussion question at the end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to make any enemies in the room. I have my own feelings about that. And yeah, here's what I do know. A slap on the wrist does not do a good job. It doesn't do a good job. And you know, letting people go after they committed crimes back on the street doesn't seem to work either. I don't know. It's not rocket science. I think, you know, there's proper punishment for crimes that are committed. I don't know. It seems like, I wonder what Israel's crime rate was like after these laws were established. I can tell you now, you can go over there now, and there's crime there, but it's not that bad. It's not that high. Anyways, if somebody murders somebody, then they get put to death. They're executed. Verse 7, where somebody with a stone is a murderer, the murderer must be executed. With a stone in his hand, strikes and kills another person, it's murder. The murderer must be put to death. Or if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden object, it is murder, and the murderer must be put to death. Now, he's going to elaborate on these things a little bit more. That helps to bring some clarity to it as well, okay? But these are intentional things. These are intentional things that he's talking about. You intentionally took the life of somebody else with this object. That's murder, okay? You knew what you were doing. You killed somebody. So the punishment for you is, well, your life. That's just how it is. You don't like that. Well, don't murder people. It's, it makes sense, right? Like, just don't murder people. We already went through like Leviticus where it talks about if you steal something from somebody, you have to give that back plus like 10%, plus a certain percentage. Oh, you don't like those rules? Don't steal. It's pretty simple, right? If you don't like the consequences, don't do the act. I don't know. Well, you don't understand my upbringing. I don't need to. It says what it says, okay? It's, it's black and white. Do this, this happens to you. Like nobody in the nation of Israel could complain about this stuff. If you do this, this is what happens. That's, that's just how it is. And they were to accept this. We don't know of many incidents where this was going on, but certainly things were happening, okay? But the Lord's gonna put these parameters in place because he has to, number one, he has to protect the innocent, but then he, he also has to protect those who have unintentionally done something. It's, it's, it's justice, and it, it's what society needs to be healthy, to be safe. Verse 19, the victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. There you go. There's your justice right there. When they meet, the avenger must put the murderer to death. Verse 20, so if someone hates, here's the key, if someone hates another person and waits in ambush, then pushes him or throws something at him and he dies, it's murder. And this should be bringing to your mind what Jesus defined for the Pharisees, the, the, the ones who know the law so well. He's like, oh, no, no. If you hate someone within your heart, that's murder. Well, I've never killed anybody. Yeah, well, 
How, do you have hate in your heart towards somebody? Because Jesus sees it as the same. So the Lord is clarifying for them. He's like, let me, let me dig a little bit deeper in this for you. Because there's a motivator in, within the murder. And it's hate. And it's hate. So we have to address that. So if you're like, this is premeditated, you're waiting to ambush them, then that person, that's murder. And you should be put to death for that. Or if someone hates another person and hits him with a fist and he dies, it is murder. In such cases, the avenger must put the murderer to death when they meet. But suppose someone pushes another person without having shown, shown previous hostility. You just get in a little fight. You push them down. They fall down and hit their head on a rock and they die, right? So you're like, I didn't mean for that to happen, okay? Or whatever the scenario may be. There's some really interesting scenarios that, that get painted for us here. But it's, it's unintentional. There's no previous hostility. Or throw something that unintentionally hits another person or accidentally drops a huge stone on someone. I don't know how that works or what that scenario is, but um, it's a construction site thing. And, you know, I was carrying this gigantic boulder. I pushed it. I didn't know somebody was down there and they died. It, I, it wasn't intentional. There was no, I, would, I didn't do it because I hated this person. I didn't even know that they were there or that was going to happen. It says, Though they were not enemies and the person dies, verse 24, if this should happen, the community must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. The community must protect the slayer from the avenger and must escort the slayer back to live in the city of refuge to which, to which he fled. So this accident happens. The guy who did it, he's got to book it to uh, to a, a city of refuge so he doesn't get killed because it wasn't my intention. Well, there has to be some sort of trial that takes place. And the community is going to be the one who comes together to determine whether or not this person is guilty or not guilty, okay? Judged by your peers, okay? So the Lord's setting this all up there. So the slayer that gets escorted back to the city of refuge to which he fled, there he must remain until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the sacred oil. Okay, so this, this scenario happens, somebody dies accidentally due to a mistake you make or something like that. Well, if you go to the city of refuge, you don't get to leave the city of refuge until the high priest dies. So, I mean, there's, and, and I, I don't know, I didn't look into it this much, but from what I could tell, there's nothing in here that says your family gets to go with you. So it may have been an unintentional act, but there's still some sort of consequences behind that. Like, yeah, you got to go to the city of refuge, and you have to stay there until the high priest is no longer the high priest, until he dies. Then you can leave. But I didn't mean to do it. I know. But this is where you live now. This is where you live now, until that guy dies. And, And that's just how the Lord had it set up. If he chooses, and we'll see it here in a second, but if they choose, like, well, I don't want to stay here. I want to go back to the town where I live. Well, you step outside that, that city of refuge, that family may be waiting for you to kill you. And then they're not guilty because you didn't obey God. So the Lord's just framing all this stuff out for, for the, this whole nation. Verse 26, it says, but if the slayer ever leaves the limits of the city, say the city limits of the city of refuge, the avenger, and the avenger finds him outside the city and kills him, it would not be considered murder. 
The slayer should have stayed in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer may return to his own property. These are legal requirements for you to observe from generation to generation, wherever you may live. Verse 30, all murderers must be put to death, but only if evidence is presented by more than one witness. Okay, so there has to be more than just one witness. One, one dude shows up and is like, yeah, I saw him do it. Well, we need, a, we need another witness to verify your story, because we don't know. You might be on that other guy's side. So they want multiple witnesses, which, again, should bring up into our memory the night Jesus was put on trial. And they knew they had to bring in multiple witnesses, right? And, and they found a bunch of liars, and uh, none of their stories corroborated at all. And technically, Jesus should have been let go, but they were bent on sending him to the cross. It was already part of the plan, though. We can get into some of that later on. But this is what the Lord has established. Murder should be put to death. However, there should be evidence from more than one witness that they actually did commit this crime. No one may be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Verse 31, also, you must never accept the ransom payment for the life of someone judged guilty of murder and subject to execution. Murderers must always be put to death. The Lord's like, I make no exceptions. You purposely killed somebody because you hated them. I don't care if your family is loaded. You don't get off. You don't get off. This doesn't really work like that in our country, does it? We had a story in Amarillo. I remember this. I made the headlines for sure there. There was these kids hanging out in the parking lot of a shopping center. And these were all like goth kids, you know. And some other kids who uh, a little bit up higher up on the social ladder there, kind of preppy kids, got to a fight with all these kids. And one of these kids who comes from a very wealthy family decided he was going to run over one of these other kids. And he killed him with his car. He ran him over. That case goes to court and all this stuff. Well, dad's pockets run really deep. And that kid did not get the justice that he was deserving of, the one who lost his life. And the one who should be behind bars to this day, I don't think is at all. And those stories are so common. So common. It doesn't matter who you are. If you purposely take the life of somebody else, you deserve to be punished for that. There's a story in our headlines today about a Marine. He's not a former Marine because there's no such thing as a former Marine. Once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. So that's just how that works. Okay? I have friends who are, in the, who are Marines, even though they don't serve there anymore, they will tell you this. Nobody is ever just a former Marine. However, this guy acted on behalf of others, is what the story goes, and somebody died as a result of that. The charges, I think the charges now is, is basically a manslaughter kind of a thing. And our country is up in arms, and it's going to go to a jury, and then the jury's going to decide on this or that. Whatever it is going to be, it's, it's, it's just one more thing to tear our country apart. Because it's, just, it's, it's a sad thing where we, we don't even know what justice is anymore in the sense of, I mean, my take on it, you can have a different view of this. Somebody steps in for the sake of other people, and unfortunately, somebody lost their life as a result of that. There are these, there's these other crimes that are going on that nobody's, dudes are getting slaps on the wrist. And it's just another reminder of like, our, our, our system is so broken. 
It's just messed up. And I read through the Old Testament, and I see some of the stuff where God's like, I care about people, and I care about societies, and I care about safety and peace within societies. And in order to have that, you have to have a, uh, you have to have a justice system that's in place that the people who are by and large good can have some sort of peace, knowing like, if something bad happens to me, justice will come through for me. We don't live in that land. We don't live there anymore. And there's corruption on both sides. I'm not for this and I'm not for that or whatever. There's corruption on both sides. And it's sad that justice that needs to be done for some families isn't going to happen. And justice and and, and overcorrection, so to speak, on some stories where you're just like, that's how many years for stepping in and defending other people? That just seems wrong. So again, this is my opinions. This isn't, these statements aren't backed by Calvary Galveston or whatever. Whatever disclaimer I need to throw out there and you can come at me and say, I'm totally wrong. That's fine. I still live within a reality where we can disagree and be friends. I know that I'm crazy now, but that's just where I live and function. That used to make sense. That used to be how people got along, but whatever. These days are different. Welcome to the book of Judges in America. The Lord cares about cities. He cares about people who dwell within cities. He cares about like biblical justice, like actual real justice, not some of these other notions of justice. He cares about justice that protects people. And he puts all these parameters in place because, well, sin is a reality and sin messes things up and things happen. And sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. But what we have to do is, and I think what the Lord has is making clear for these guys is, look, you can't tolerate these things. You can't tolerate these things. It says you can't, nobody should be able to buy their way out of jail because they have a lot of money and they committed a crime. That shouldn't be happening, okay? You can't accept ransoms, verse 32, you know, you can, you can never accept a ransom payment from someone who's fled to a city of refuge, allowing a slayer to return to his property before the death of the high priest. Like, no, you got to stay there. That's the rule. That's the rule. Whether you like it or not, it does not matter. That's the rule. You, you, some, somebody lost their life because of your negligence. You have to live here until the high priest dies. That's the rule. That's how it goes. But I don't like that. It's a, well, that's tough. That's not how God's economy works, okay? It's not about us. It's about him. And he's setting these parameters in place for this brand new nation, brand new nation. Verse 33, this will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted. For murder pollutes the land. Murder pollutes the land. No sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land from murder. You must not defile the land where you live, for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. God knows all about this pollution. He witnessed it happen between two brothers, Cain and Abel. And God, God went to Cain. He's like, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He says, the ground. His blood is crying out to me from the ground. You polluted the ground with his blood. I wonder how polluted this country is. We're worried about pollution and all that, 
but we don't, we're not worried about this kind of pollution. Look, I'm all for making smart choices environmentally and all that. I'm, I'm all for that. Like, I'm, I don't worship this earth at all. But I wonder if we just took this type of pollution a little bit more seriously than what we do. I wonder how much blood has been spilt in our own nation sinfully, sinfully, that's just kind of polluted this land. The whole world is like this. The whole world. There's, there's all this parameters and put in place, and, and what I want to end on is a good reminder for you and I. So Hebrews chapter 6, you can turn there. Because I don't want to end on murder and capital punishment and all that, and you're like, I don't agree with this guy at all. That's fine. I don't, it, it does not, I, it's fine. You can have your views on whatever. I don't know. But uh, lock them up in jail forever. I don't know. But there, there, there's got to be, you know, appropriate punishments for certain crimes. There just has to be, okay? I don't think I'm crazy for thinking that. I just think there has to be. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, 18 through 20. This is good for you and me. Because I don't know about you, but yeah, murder is a part of my history, according to the definition of Jesus. It just is. So, yeah, it's weird to say this, but yeah, I'm, I, I'd be guilty of murder. Like, and if you're watching, like, not physical murder. Okay, I'm, my hands are clean there. I've never done that. However, in my heart, I have hated people. I have hated people. So, where's this murderer supposed to run to? Where's my city of refuge? Hebrews 6, 18 through 20 says this, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These things, these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, fled to Jesus for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's forever on my arm, that, that verse right there, Hebrews 6, 19. For me, what it initially meant is that, well, man, he's my anchor. Man, he, when, when the storm's raging, he's, he's the anchor I hold on to. But in light of the context of this, the story, now he's my city of refuge because I got to have somewhere where I can run because I, I'm just as guilty as anybody in, in Numbers chapter 35. And you and I have Jesus to run to. And the last little reminder, New Testament reminder for you and I is Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's your city of refuge. He's the one you run to. And when you enter into him and that relationship with him, you keep running back to him and you keep asking like, Lord, search me. If there's anything in me that needs to be dealt with, then help me to deal with it, God. I want to own that. But I, I, just, I also know I need to run to you because if your sin finds you out, it might as well find you hiding in Jesus. Let him be your city of refuge. Let him be the place where you run to. He's available. He's available. You've 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. How often is the voice of God ignored? Do you tune him out because you think you know what he's going to say to you? Or maybe it just comes straight from a disobedient heart, like that of the Israelites, after being rescued from Pharaoh's rule. Getting out of Egypt wasn't enough for them, because, get this, they complained. They were disgruntled because God's way of doing things wasn't their way of doing things. Not only that, but they did what they wanted. Listen to how God responds to the Israelites' behavior in Numbers 4.22 and 23. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. That's pretty heavy, but it comes from a loving father who's teaching his children to obey him without question. What is your next step of obedience? If you enjoyed today's message from Numbers and want to hear more, then go to breadforthebroken.com where you'll hear more of God's truth and what it means for your life. That website, once again, is breadforthebroken.com. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Would you consider donating some of your resources to support this ministry? All you have to do is visit us at breadforthebroken.com to learn how. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Make sure you join us again next time here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.